you know, there are some things that can be changed and others that cannot. Uh, Consider the difference between buying something at Walmart versus dirt cheap. Uh, We have been replacing the lights in our laundry room now for the last week, and we keep buying the wrong bulbs. They they fit, I don't mean that, they work, but we've bought the wrong color. They're that real warm white, and you really can't see anything, and so we keep taking them back. And so the first time we took the bulbs back to Walmart, we had a receipt, so they gave us cash. Now this last time we didn't have a receipt, but that's no problem at Walmart, because if you have anything in your house you don't want, you can take it back to Walmart, and they'll take it and give you money for it. And so we got a store credit, and we're able to return those bulbs to Walmart. Now, here's the thing. If you've ever shopped at Dirt Cheap, you know there are signs everywhere that says all sales are final. They will never, ever let you return anything to them. So one is changeable. One is not. Consider the difference between spilling water on the floor versus orange soda. Uh, you know, water you can mop up and it's just fine. But when I was a kid, my, my cousin spilled uh, a whole can of Sunkiss on brand new carpet. The white Berber looking carpet my parents had just put in. And I, I, I kind of don't think we ever told my parents, you know, for about a week or so. And so by the time they found out about it, it was irreversible. And so there's this nice, large, orange spot in the carpet. One was reversible. One was not. We think about Elmer's glue and super glue. Elmer's glue you can have a lot of fun with, but it's not very permanent. But I have on many occasions glued my fingers together using super glue. The last time I used it, or one of the last times, I actually somehow super glued the bottle to my finger. Uh, so about three bottles of acetone later, it finally came off. These are silly examples, I know. But you see the difference. One is permanent and one is changeable. One um, might be difficult to be changed, but the other one cannot be changed. So I'll ask you this question this morning. Into which camp does our salvation fall? Which camp does our salvation fall? Can it be lost? Or is it forever? Can it be lost? Is there something that we can do? Is there something that can be done to us? Is there something that God can do? Can He just stop loving us one day? Is there anything that can be done to nullify the effects of salvation to the point where we lose it if we're really saved? Or does it abide forever? Well, of course, the Bible says it's the latter. That if we truly know Jesus, there's nothing that can separate us from His love. How we answer this question determines a lot of things. It determines how we view God. Do we see Him as a taskmaster? Someone whom we have to keep pleased with good, with good works? And if we fail in one day, He removes our love from us? Or is He someone who has promised that He has adopted us and it is forever? It changes how we view our sin. Is there sin that we can do so, so heinous that would cause God to stop loving us if we're truly saved? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, as mentioned, is an unforgivable sin, but that is the outright denial of Christ. An unbeliever cannot do that. So for the believer, that doesn't apply. 
Or is it that when we sin, and even sin egregiously, the, the Spirit works in us and causes us to repent, and we're secure in Christ through and through? It affects if we have joy or not. There is no joy in the Christian life if at any time we can lose our salvation. There's only joy in the Lord is if we are secure in His hands. Did you know? Did you know that you cannot lose your salvation? In order not to lose it, you must first have it. But our salvation is secure. I want to read you a few verses. These aren't in your outline, uh, though I commend them to you. You may wish to write them down there. There's some wonderful verses that help us remember that our salvation is secure. You know, there are plenty of people who know Jesus who don't believe this. Uh, And these would be some good places to point them into ourselves when we doubt and we struggle and wonder if God has stopped loving us. John 6, verses 37 through 39, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. God has given His Son Jesus His people, and He will never lose them. Or John 10, 28. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Well, that great hymn of praise from Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. Romans 8, 37 through 39. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And then from our text this morning, my favorite. And I am sure of this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What great news this is, my friends. That through the the hard times of the Christian walk, through dry seasons, through seasons of temptation, through seasons of failing, that we cannot lose our salvation, that we are secure in Christ. And because of this, we can have joy and we can rejoice. Well, I want to explore three reasons why we can't lose our salvation, that our salvation is secure. And the first is because God is the one who began this work. Our context finds us with Paul writing what's called a thank report. A thank report finds its way into almost all of Paul's letters except two, Titus and Galatians. Uh, And in these thank reports, he thanks the Lord for positive qualities that he sees in the recipients of his letter. Now, the Philippians is even greater than others. He loves the Philippians. The Philippian church is a mature church. It's not a perfect church. We're going to get to that later in our series. They have problems, too. They have real problems. But he loves the Philippian church, and he's thanking the Lord for all that he has done in their lives. We see this in verse 8. 
For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Just like Jesus loves me and you, so Paul loved the Philippians and longed to be with them. He is in prison and hoped one day to be free that he might go and visit the Philippians. Just one more time. They had partnered with Paul in, their, in his ministry, first to Thessalonica, when he had gone there immediately after his visit to Philippi. Uh, to Philippi. Uh, and then also later, now he, they have partnered with Paul and sent Epaphroditus with money to help care for him when he is in prison, probably in Rome, maybe Ephesus, but probably in Rome towards the end of his life. Have you ever had a friend, a memory, or a place that whenever you think of it, it brings you joy? No matter how hard the time is, you think of them or you hear they're coming into town and it just brings you joy. Well, this was Paul's experience with the Philippians. Every time in all of his remembrances of them, it brought him joy. And When he prayed for them, even when he prayed for their, against their sins and for their needs, it brought them, him great joy. He loves the Philippians. But he thanks God for them because he knows, just like we do, that uh, James 1 and other places tell us that everything good in this world comes from the Lord. That every good and every perfect gift in this world comes not from me, not from you, not from those who immediately gave it to us, but ultimately come from the Lord. And so the Lord has given to him these partners in ministry, these folks to encourage him, and he is thanking God for what he is doing in their lives. Because here's the thing. As he thinks back on the Philippians, he sees that God has begun a good work in them. We see that in verse 6. That God began a good work in them. And this is where we see one element of our security in Christ. That if we truly are saved, if we really know Jesus, then we cannot be snatched out of his hands. There's nothing in all of eternity that can snatch us out of his hands. And it it is God who is the source of our salvation. It is God who has begun this work in us. In order for him to complete it, it first must be begun. And we have the example of the Philippian church in Acts 16. You'll remember there that Lydia was converted on the riverbank side. And who was it that saved her? Oh yeah, it was the Lord. Verse 14 of Acts 16, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord gave her eyes to see and ears to hear, just like he does to us. And we were saved. Suddenly the the scales fell off our eyes. The chains were were taken off our wrists. And the the prison bars opened. And and for the first time we saw that what the Lord was talking about was true. So the Lord saved Lydia. And when the spirit of divination was driven out of the young servant girl later in Acts 16. Who was it? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And who was it that opened up those, 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 those jail doors? And who was it that freed Paul and Silas from their bonds? It was the Lord. It was the Lord working in all of these things. He is the source of our salvation. We don't save ourselves. The primary reason why we can't lose our salvation is that we didn't earn it. It was a gift. It was given to us. It's not a loan. It can't be recalled. There aren't stipulations that we have to fulfill. Guess what? Because Jesus has fulfilled those stipulations for our salvation already. We merely have to rest on Christ and receive the gift that He freely offers to us. A gift that can be taken back. 
is no gift at all. And so we find that salvation is a gift. And Romans eleven twenty nine tells us, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Do you doubt? When do you doubt? When do you doubt? When does, when does Satan begin to sow those seeds of doubt in your mind? And you begin to wonder, can I lose my salvation? Have you ever been there before? The only way to combat the doubts, the lies of the evil one, or the promises and the truth of God. My friends, if you are in Christ, there's nothing that can snatch you out of his hands. Nothing that you're facing, nothing that's facing your family. There's nothing. But Paul continues. See, not only do we find that our security in Christ, our, our eternal salvation is secure, not only because He is the one who began it in us, He took the initiative, He chose us, He saved us, but also He continues to work in us. We see that in the Philippian church. As you think about the Philippians, yes, they have been saved in the past, but there was ongoing evidence of their salvation. The Lord did not just leave them when they were saved. The Lord gave him his spirit and began to change them from the inside out, transforming them from one degree of glory to the next. They had partnered with Paul. They partnered with Paul, and, and he is receiving the benefits of the ongoing fruit in their lives. And this is what happens when Christ comes into our lives. He doesn't leave us where we are. He's, he begins to change us, albeit slowly, most of the time imperceptibly. And almost all of the time, um, without our awareness, until those big trials come into our lives and we are forced to turn to Him again. Paul rejoices in how, they have, how, how God has worked in their lives and how God's working in their lives have been to His benefit. Verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. It is likely if he's in Rome, he has already appeared before some Roman official, and he has literally defended Jesus and confirmed positively the, the message of the gospel. And it's because they had been faithful to the Lord, it's because the Philippians had responded to the Lord, and the Spirit had worked in their lives that they had partnered with Paul, and now there was a tangible result of their walk with God, hundreds of miles away, probably in Rome. This partnership they had with Paul was more than just a, a financial agreement. It was not just a contract. The word partnership here can be translated as fellowship. Perhaps you've heard the Greek word koinonia. It's a very common one, commonly used one. And it means more than just a partnership. It, it means the mysterious bond or fellowship that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ. As Paul was in Rome, he wasn't just a missionary partner, he was their family. This is the working of the Lord. See, when God comes and He changes a life, when He comes and He makes us new, when He begins a good work in us, He changes us. And fruit is what comes up. We've begun to pick little itty-bitty little tomatoes off of our tomato plants. They, they're dropping like flies, these tomato plants. We have fewer and fewer every day, but we're, we're still we're getting a few tomatoes off these things. This is how we know it's a tomato plant. 
I don't really know anything about plants. So it could be some other plant. The only way I know it's a tomato plant is if it has a tomato on it. This is what Jesus tells us. He says, you'll know them by your fruit. When the Lord comes into our lives, He changes us. And He produces fruit. For, for a missionary, for a pastor like Paul, there are few things that will bring him more joy than someone who is walking with the Lord, came to know the Lord under his ministry, and now is walking with the Lord and, and serving him. I know that I, I remember a, a, a man in, in, in past who I got to lead to the Lord and disciple him. Then he married a, a daughter of the church. I got to his wedding, and, and last I heard, he was serving as a community group leader and serving as a deacon at the church. And it, it brought me great joy in all my remembrance of him because he was walking with the Lord. See, they were persevering. That's the theological word, the perseverance of the saints. When we speak of the fact that we can't lose our salvation, I think that's the proper term, the, the perseverance of the saints, where saints are just those who know Jesus. It means that once God gets a hold of us, He doesn't let us go, and we persevere as believers. We remain steadfast. We endure the race. We walk with the Lord. We continue on. We stay converted. We love Him more and more every day. We grow more and more sorrowful over our sin that we are no longer babes in Christ, but grow on to maturity. See, He who began a good work in them was continuing to work in them, and this is the assurance that we have as well. The God who started this work of conversion, He continues to work in us. We see this in Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. See, we can't lose our salvation, and the purpose of that is so that we would serve God and serve others. We would serve God and serve others, and this is what God was doing in their lives. Thirdly, though, we cannot lose our salvation because God finishes His work. Have any of y'all ever started something you didn't finish? Um, how many projects are in your garage that you have begun? I bought a 1979 postal Jeep, and uh, not not recently, uh, with a friend uh, right before or right in college, and and I drove it once. It didn't have brakes. And that was difficult. <laughs> but do you know, two years later, I was selling it for scrap. I didn't, I didn't finish what I started. But our God's not like that. He doesn't save us and then leave us to do the rest of the work. He's not like a painter who starts a painting and then never finishes it. He's not like a carpenter who starts a, an addition and never completes it. See, when God sets about His work, He finishes it. And this word for completion here, it ultimately means to be made perfect. See, God is at work in our lives, and He is making us more and more like Jesus. And He will finish it. He who began a good work in you will finish it, will complete His work at the day of the Lord Jesus. Is it good news to you? that you can't lose your salvation. What do we do with this information? There, there are several different avenues we could take. The first is we could just say, okay, that's great. That means I can live however I want to and do whatever I want and sin boldly and never have to repent because you know what? I'm secure. 
I think if that's your attitude, then I would ask you, if you were you ever actually saved? Because we cannot use God's grace as an excuse to sin. That's not what it's there for. That's to trample on the, the definition of grace. That's to trample on God's love for you. For the Christian, it's a great comfort. It means that Whatever happens to you, you are secure in Christ. And I know many of you, I know many of your burdens are facing very real trials and very real burdens. There are a lot of things changing. But there's one thing that remains the same. You're heading to Beulah land. You're heading on the other side of the Jordan. God will not lose you. You won't be lost in the shuffle. It won't be an administrative error. You won't be lost in the last day. It means there's a, there's a security to the Christian life that brings us great joy and comfort. It means that if we fail and skin our knee at, at, jo- at our job, or even lose our jobs, our identity is still secure in Christ. It means when we fall into temptation yet again, our salvation is secure in Christ. It means that you can be honest about your struggles Because there's nothing that you can admit to that you're dealing with or struggling with that would cause God to love you less. Or that God would say, you know what, we're done here. He doesn't work like that. You are his worksmanship. You are his handiwork. And he will complete it. It means that when God doesn't seem as close, have you been through a, a, a spiritual dry place recently? It means even then when you don't feel it, God's still there. You haven't lost his love. It means that when you see a loved one enter into a season of wandering, it may mean they it may not mean they're not saved. It may mean that the Lord just hadn't called them back yet. It means that there's no sin whatsoever that can nullify a loved one's relationship with the Lord if they are truly saved, not even suicide. To the uttermost, Jesus saves us. We cannot lose our salvation. And because of that, we have a radical joy. Because through and through, our salvation is God's grace. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And if you know Jesus, if you have put your faith in Him, then you are secure. And there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are secure in you. Out of that security, Lord, we pray that we would have lives that are productive and faithful to you. Lord, as we rejoice in what you've done for us and you've changed us and continue to work fruit in our lives, Lord, I pray that you give us faithfulness to follow you daily, to, to live as worthy of, of our calling. And Lord, we yearn for that day where our fight with the flesh is no more, And when we see our Savior face to face, when that role is called up yonder, I'll be there. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.